Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, it was on Friday. Do you have a good one? Is anybody in the doghouse this weekend? Uh-huh. I hear you. I hear you. You and me both. We'll have a party there. Uh, and happy Singles Awareness Day for my single friends, or Independent People's Day, as I was corrected. Uh, for those of you who've never heard of it, this was, this was on Saturday, okay? This is an opportunity to get past sort of what can become self-pity or the depressive commercialism that is Valentine's Day and declare to the hallmarks of the world that singles have value and can still have a good time without those disgusting, chalky little hearts. Yeah. Okay. I want to try something a little different this week. Um, by not doing something a little different this week. See, normally, right about now, I would throw in something at the very beginning like a little game or a joke, or I might put on a funny hat or a fun video, you know, something to grab your attention. But I'm not doing that. I'm doing something different. Because I want to get straight into the scriptures. So feel free to follow along on your digital devices with the Bible app or grab the Bible in the, in the chair right next to you. Um, or we will have the words on the screen. We're going to be starting out with James 1, and then we're going to be jumping over to Luke 18. Okay, so get yourselves ready. We are working through a series called Relationship Goals. The idea being that we are trying to build up our relationships. Hey, we figured, hey, Valentine's Day, what better thing to talk about than, hey, your relationships, right? Um, this is week three. Week one was connection, connection goals. Week two was Conflict, conflict goals. Does anybody remember anything from either of those two messages? No? Yeah, you know. Okay. So <laughs> um, if you don't, they're posted on YouTube. They're available on the podcast channel. Feel free to uh, review those anytime you get a chance this week. Both great messages. And we've had great discussions about them in my small group on Tuesdays. I'm sure they've had really good ones on Wednesday and Thursday as well. But today we're talking about communication, communication goals. Nothing can tear apart a relationship faster than a breakdown in communication. And there's a lot of different kinds of communications. We communicate with our words. It's the obvious one, right? We communicate with the tone of our voice, our inflection, our, uh, the cadence with which we speak makes a difference. We communicate with our lack of words, right? The silent treatment speaks volumes. And we communicate with our body language. I read this week that 93% of our communication is nonverbal. 93%. Only 7% is based on the actual words that you're saying. You want me to prove it? Consider this. There's a big difference between... What are you doing? What are you doing? And what are you doing? What are you doing? Right? But that's only half the story because we can say whatever we want, but no communication will take place if there's nobody listening. And that's what I want to talk about today. James writes in his letter, chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, 
slow to speak and slow to become angry. Got that? Quick to listen. Your default reaction should be to listen, to seek to understand, to find out what's going on. Well, before you move on to the part you probably like better, which is sharing your opinion. All right, so let's go to Luke 18, starting in verse 35, where we encounter Jesus. I'm going to read it all the way through once, and then we'll go back and we're going to pick it apart, okay? So, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Oh, it's a great story. It's very encouraging. So let's break it down. First off, we have Jesus, and he's traveling to Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. For those of you who like context and know some of these stories, this is where he meets Zacchaeus immediately after this passage, and it's shortly before what they call his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. So he's been teaching a lot. He's been healing a lot. He's basically at the height of his popularity right now. Uh, he's days or maybe weeks before what will ultimately turn into his crucifixion. And he's got this huge crowd walking with him. Word is spreading about him. People recognize his name. It says he approaches Jericho, and a blind beggar was sitting by the road. And when he heard the noise of the crowd, he asked what was happening. So, this is a guy, he's blind, it might be from an accident, it might be from birth, we don't know. Maybe it was a defect, uh, or maybe it was an accident. But bear in mind that in this period, if you were disabled, it was attributed to some sin you or your parents had committed. It didn't just happen, it's not just circumstances. There was a cause, and it was usually a punishment. So in the eyes of the people around this guy... It was his own fault he was blind, and he had to deal with it. Uh, he was out doing the only thing he could do to stay alive, which is to beg for the mercy of strangers to keep him alive. And a good Jew would give alms, but that didn't mean they had to like him. But this blind guy, he hears a huge ruckus on a street that you can imagine gets some traffic, but not a lot of excitement. It's like when you go to Olive Garden, you're on a date with your significant other, right? And in the next section over, there's this great big party, and they're making all sorts of noise and laughing, right? And you're a little curious. You want to know what's happening over there. But you have to stay here with your date and pretend like you're having more fun than they are. But you really wish you could be part of the action, right? Well, that's how our blind friend feels too. He hears the crowd and he starts asking whoever will listen, hey, hey, what's going on? Well, a couple of people tell him, oh, it's, it's Jesus. 
He's coming to town. He's about to walk this way. Like I said, people have been talking about Jesus by now. The stories have been spreading. He's healed lepers. He's healed uh, cripples. Even a kid who was dead or supposed to be dead. Oh, and a couple of blind people too. Oh, God, maybe he could heal me. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over here, please. Jesus, please. Can you see it? The hope, the excitement, this could be his chance. Jesus, please have mercy on me. He starts calling out some of the other things that he's heard Jesus called. Maybe that'll get his attention. Son of David, Nazarene, Lord, please. I'm sure by this point, like he's on his feet, right? He's waving his arms. He's, Jesus, 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 please. Maybe you can tell which way Jesus is. Maybe somebody's sort of pointed him in the right direction and he's trying to push his way through the crowd, trying to get closer. If he doesn't get Jesus' attention, he's going to be stuck on this street for the rest of whatever life he has left. Well, the people who are around Jesus at this point, they're trying to talk to Jesus. They're trying to listen to him, learn from him, maybe ask him questions. And then they notice the beggar shouting and making a fuss, and they shut him down. You don't deserve Jesus. Get lost. Be quiet so we can hear. Remember, it's his fault he's blind. But the blind man, he's not going to pay attention to them. This is his one shot, his one opportunity. Mom's spaghetti or something. He, he gets even louder. Jesus! Jesus, please! Now let's pause here. Just consider for a minute what we, was, what we have observed. No one will listen to this guy. I've suggested that it's because they don't think he deserves it, but... Maybe there are other reasons too, right? I mean, you don't always listen to the people around you, right? And why not? What are some of the barriers to being a good listener? Well, the first one I'm going to suggest, we're all pretty me-focused, aren't we? Me-focused? I like me. I like to believe I'm pretty cool. I like talking about myself and what I'm doing, and I like it even better when people are willing to listen to me. Thanks for coming, by the way. Glad to see you all today. But to be a good listener, we have to be able to let go of our own preoccupation with ourselves. Adam McHugh writes, Good listening starts with the scandalous premise that this conversation is not about you. What? Ooh, that's a deep burn. But we are, even when we're trying to be humble and helpful and whatever else we're trying to be, at some level, we're all thinking about how this affects me. And how will I look if I say this or that? And boy, I really hope that they notice what a good listener I am. 
We're me-focused. That's the first barrier to being a good listener. Another one, we make assumptions. We all do. You're making assumptions about me right now. You assume I'm not intentionally misleading you. You assume that the words I put on that screen are actually from the Bible. If you don't believe me, you can check those little books right there next to you. I assure you that they are. But still, you did assume that I'm, I'm putting real words up there. Right? Um, instead of trying to understand what a person is saying, you might assume you already know what they're going to say. You've heard a story like this one before. You heard somebody else talking about it just last week. Hey, you know what worked for them. You know the answer. You don't need to hear it. You know what? I got just the thing for you. Seems obvious. But listen, you might think that you know, but it's like putting together IKEA furniture without reading the instructions. It seems obvious. You've done a shelf like this before. The pieces even look like they all fit together a specific way. But you will absolutely get it wrong. There's just something about the way they design their stuff. It just never goes together the way you expect it to. A third barrier, this one's going to hurt, is busyness. Is busyness. You're just too busy to listen right now. I'd love to help you, but the dog just peed on the carpet and I've got dinner on the stove. Uh, the kids have another birthday party and I'm just on my way out to that axe, meeting th- axe throwing meeting, right? Uh, our calendars, they are always full. And that makes it really hard to stop and listen to someone in their time of need. Uh, we could schedule an hour on Thursday, though. I'm pretty sure I've got an hour on Thursday. It's hard to be a good listener. It really is. It's very difficult to be a good listener sometimes. But think about what happens when you don't listen. First off, people feel unheard. I mean, sure, it's a little obvious, right? But seriously, I'm, I'm not just saying that you didn't hear them and they noticed. Because, well, maybe you did hear what they said. But if you didn't really stop and listen, they will feel unheard. They will feel it. Okay? And when a person feels unheard, that means that they feel unknown. If you didn't listen to me, how can you know me? How can you know my problem? Consider this. Have you ever called tech support? Uh-huh. I hear the snickers. Or some other customer service number. First, you put in your account number for the machine. Then you wait for a person, and then they ask you for your account number, and you're like, why did I put it into the machine if I just have to give it to you now? Okay, but then they ask you what's wrong, okay, and you tell them what you need, what you already tried to fix it, and what you think you need them to do, and what do they do? I'm sorry to hear that. I'm going to walk you through this chart of questions that I'm required to ask before I do anything else. I mean, it's not useful, is it? 
and God forbid you get disconnected, you can tell them until you're blue in the face that you were just going through it with another operator named Sue, and you were at this question, so please, please, please don't start back at the beginning. But they'll do it anyway, because it's their job, and they don't get a choice. They have to do that. They have to go back. Whoever put that script together, they put a lot of thought into what they thought were the common things people would call about. They think they knew you and what you would need. But you just wind up frustrated. You feel ignored, and you feel like they just don't understand you at all. Unheard and unknown. Thank you for holding. A representative will be with you shortly. Your call is important to us. But the sad part is that we do this to each other in life, too. As soon as someone starts to describe a problem they're facing, don't you immediately go into Mr. or Miss Fix-It mode and start asking if they've tried this fix or that solution? Can I tell you something important? More often than not, when someone is telling you about a problem they're facing, they are not asking for you to fix it. Let me say that again. Most of the time, when someone tells you about a problem, they don't want you to fix it. They don't want you to offer a solution. They want you to listen, to understand, and you, for you to have compassion and sympathy. They don't want your strategy for their problem. They want your support as you navigate it. Let them cry on your shoulder, whether literally or figuratively. Ask for more details. Ask what they've done. Then ask them how you can help. If they ask for your advice, then you should do your best. But don't offer it unbidden. The author of Proverbs says, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. And the big bottom line here, when a person feels unheard and unknown, it leaves them feeling unloved. And that's the biggest tragedy. None of us wants our friends, our family, or anyone to feel unloved. And yet, as David Osberger says it, being listened to is so close to being loved that the average person can't tell the difference. They can't tell the difference. Which means when you start chiming in before they've even told you what's wrong, you're telling them that you don't love them enough to hear them. So how do we make sure that the people in our lives don't wind up feeling unloved on our account? Well, let's go back to our story. The beggar is crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. The people are trying to push him away. And then Jesus does Jesus. He sees. He stops. He understands. And he turns the tables. He sees the people rebuking the beggar. He hears his pleas for mercy. He holds up his hand, waits for quiet, says, bring him here. Over all that commotion, he stops 
what he's doing, and he takes just a minute to listen to a blind man that everyone else is disregarding. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? He didn't assume, even though it was probably pretty apparent from the way the man was moving that he couldn't see anything. But he didn't assume. He didn't try to make the conversation about himself. He wasn't too busy to stop and listen to this poor man's request. He just says, what do you need? And the man, maybe a little embarrassed at the absurdity of the question, or maybe just relieved that somebody's actually listening to him. That man, he says, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. Jesus says, done. Your faith has healed you. And instantly, instantly, the man sees. He's standing there. He's facing Jesus, begging for the one thing no one else can give him. And Jesus says, receive your sight. And the first thing that that man sees is the face of the man that saw him first. It's a beautiful thing. The man, oh, the man is ecstatic. He can see. He can see for the first time in his life. He can see, praise God. Oh my God, I've never seen skin so dark. It's amazing. Or skin so white. Wow. I mean, what a beautiful color. Those Flowers? I've never seen flowers. What is all this? I can see, praise God. Oh, and as Jesus continues on his way, you can envision him maybe giving a little loving smile back on the man, right? As he turns to continue on towards Jericho. And all who saw it praised God. Jesus was a really good listener. He knew how to listen. He didn't ignore people. He didn't hear the man saying, I want to see, and then start talking about this. One time, you know, he met this guy whose daughter was supposed to be dead, and he went into the house right past all the mourners, and they're telling him it's a lost cause. But, oh, I just woke her up like she was asleep. No big deal. So, yeah, of course I can give you some sight. No problem. Oh, you should have seen their faces. No, he wasn't too busy trying to get to Jericho and Jerusalem to be bothered by a guy who just needed a white cane and a service dog. Jeez. No, no. He knew how to listen. And he got to know people. To listen and to know. Not only did he give the man the sight that he knew he wanted, but he also gave him the sense of being heard. The sense of being known and understood and ultimately the feeling of being loved. That he knew the man needed even more than his sight. He listened, which led to knowing, which led to people feeling loved. See, Jesus knew the value of every life he encountered. And it's the same value you and I have in his sight Because we're all made in the image of God. 
we all mirror his attributes just a little bit in our own messy and perfect ways. But that makes us all valuable. We are all the children of God, loved by Jesus, and we all deserve to be heard and understood and known and loved. So how can we, how can you and I become better listeners? How can we show the love of Jesus to the people around us? Well, first off, as John tells us, we love because he first loved us. Before you can emulate Jesus, before you can show his love to others, you have to know it yourself. If you've never really experienced how Jesus loves you, maybe it's time for you to see what that's like. He loved you so much, he died for you. Before you even knew about him, before you asked, he made it easy for you to get the love that you need. Maybe today's the day that you need to see, say, Lord, I want to see. To see what that grace feels like, that perfect love. Let him show you his love so that you can begin to love others the same way. And all of us can learn to imitate Jesus in the way that we communicate with each other. We've got to listen. Not just hear the words, but really listen. Stop what you're doing. Pause Netflix. Close the laptop. For God's sake, put down your phone and listen. Despite the activity and the busyness, really stop. Give them your full attention. Have you ever been hanging out with a small child, two-year-old, three-year-old, something like that, and they can tell you're not quite paying attention? What do they do? They get right in your face. They grab you by the ears, and they turn your face right into theirs so that you don't have a choice but to look at them, right? Why do they do that? because they inherently understand that being listened to is so close to being loved that the average person can't tell the difference. Because ultimately, when you feel heard, and you feel known, that's when you know that you're loved. And that's our goal, isn't it? To communicate our love to each other.